Welcome to Animoca Brands Presents Podcast. Today, we'll be diving deep into the importance of creator royalties in Web3. I'm your host, Rich Robinson. I'm the entrepreneur in residence at Animoca Brands. Creators and creativity are as old as time. Cave paintings, storytellers, music, all the way up until the Oscars this week. And nothing new, but particularly important for Web3. I like to think of Web1 as being sort of platform dominant, Web2 a little bit more focused on apps, but things have been atomized down to the creator level where creators have freedom, but the ability to control and better monetize their, their work. And here at Animoca Brands, we advocate the open metaverse and digital property rights. So our fearless leader, Yatsio, is particularly strongly opinionated about creator royalties and why they are so important. So today we have three terrific guests who are going to be helping us to unpack and to understand better the importance of creator royalties. First up, we have Jamie Kwok, who is Animoca Brand's own head of legal, Cameron Kate. Chief Legal Officer of Yuga Labs, who, for those of you who are not familiar, of course, Board API Club and Other Side, et cetera. CEO of Cool Cat, Stephen Teglis. Stephen's joining us from LA, Cameron from outside of Philadelphia, and Jamie in, in the mothership in Hong Kong, and I'm here in Bali, Indonesia. Let's dive in, shall we? Um, let's talk about why creator royalties broadly are so important. Let's go to, let's go to you, Stephen, in the context of, of Cool Cats and NFTs writ large. Sure. Thanks, Rich. And thanks for inviting me on. Cool Cats was a early 2000, July 2001 brand that came into, came into form. <clears throat> and a lot of people don't realize that when we started out, we started out with four founders and an incredible artist with Klon. And he worked about 10 years in the space doing little, little shows and, and trying to get his work out there. And when they finally came together, they came up with a project and they minted, and they minted for about 0.02 ETH of a collection of 9,999 cats. <clears throat> and at the time, ETH was trading about, that was about $40 to $50 in, in USD. And when you bring that sum together, it wasn't that big. And so it wasn't something that would power a company. And so Cool Cats really got it starting or became the brand that it has. Because of those creator royalties in the early days that uplifted the company, allowed the company to grow, to build, to build a story and start building out the characters and building out the brand. And so us being creator led as a brand with our artist, the creator royalties are very, very meaningful. And they're meaningful in principle, primarily to us in Web3 and in the space. Because it is, it gives projects and gives artists and gives creators the ability to create, build something and build a community. And that community who's largely tied to the project or to the brand, <clears throat> there's a nice reciprocal relationship that as, as the brand grows, they grow, as they grow, the brand grows. And so that's the, really the definition of the community is each are supporting each other to build and grow and really create Web3 and create this great space that we're working in. So for us, it's very meaningful from a principle standpoint of how we got our start and how we remember that. And we also think it's the right way to do to expand the space. 
we need more and more people in Web3 in this space to create a larger community. And once we create this, this Uber community, if you will, we're going to have communities within the community. And that's great. But without, without this creator royalties just to uplift and start and, and, and start moving the flywheel, you're just not going to get the projects, you're not going to get the innovation, and you're not going to get people taking calculated smart risks in the space and really expressing themselves, their art, and the innovation. Great. Love it. Yeah. So for those of you listening who are not really intimately familiar, creative royalties, really a cornerstone of Web3, the innovation is that it provides the recurring earnings back to the creator. So like, let's say you sold a piece of art, a painting back in the day. Great. You get a one-off sale, but now somebody else owns that and they resell it. You're not getting a piece of the pie. So now because things are on chain and you can you can track things, the original creators, they make money in the secondary sales, which is hugely important and really rewards creators, create something that people really love and there's going to be a robust marketplace around. So royalties are like perpetual and usually set around two to 10% of a sale. How, how do you how do you do the the, the royalties yourself, Stephen? And, and also Cameron, I'd love to hear from you over at Yuga, how you guys set that range and your experience there. I'll, I'll start and I'll pass to you. Our, we, we set our royalties at 5% on the secondary, on our secondary market. And so we're in the middle of the road, if you will, between the two and the 10. I will tell you that's for projects like ourselves or brands like ourselves and some of the other Web3 blue chips. It's not the main driver of our business, but it's meaningful to us and to our community for it, it, it creates that flywheel, if you will, to continue to build and invest while we're not continuing to release or drop new products in the market. It allows us to continue to be involved and continue to allow our community to be involved. Terrific. Yeah. And Cameron? Well said. Yeah, well, well said, Stephen and Rich. Thanks for having me on. I think you go similar to, to Cool Cats is in the middle of the road for most of our projects. I think that our, our royalties are set between zero and 5%, depending on the, the collection at, in question. And, and really we try to look at it from a similar perspective to what Steven shared, which is how are we going to create a, an ongoing relationship with our, with our, our holders who have, who are interested in our products, who, who love the art, who are building with the intellectual property that was a driver for them to be involved. And, and how can they sort of show that, that interest, that ongoing interest in, in the full life cycle of them being a member of the community from purchase to, to sale if they, if they so choose. So we, we are appreciative of how the, the community has rallied around the concept of royalties and has been an adamant supporter in many ways from, from the get-go. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, that's been evident. And Jamie, over to you. There's been a recent uh, kerfuffle, uh, pretty prominent in the, in the news and the Web3 community about this battle twixt OpenSea and Blur. Can you peel that back and give some color about what happened and our position around that? I think that happened a few weeks ago, which seems like years to me now. So I think if my memory served me right, I think it really started off with OpenSeeing out some condition as to when royalty will be collected. And I think one of the condition was that you needed to block marketplaces that don't collect royalties, right? And that's a condition that they would then continue to collect royalties on your collection, but that was in relation to new collections. So in relation to collections as minted prior to that day, I think they would still continue to honor and collect royalties. And I think it happened 
one weekend, I remember it was a crazy weekend because everyone started rushing around on our end as well because we were about to launch our Mockaverse collection at Silent Week. And I think Blur came out and basically started a war. I think Blur said, well, I think you need to, correct me, Stephen Cameron, I think that it, they said that you needed to block OpenSea. Otherwise, we were not going to honour the royalty payment or something like that. And so basically, they just openly declare war against OpenSea. And I think what happened was that OpenSea panicked and in response to that, decided that they will also drop royalty and have only a minimum standard or open 5% on, on all collection, including old and new unless everybody through their smart contract locked marketplaces that don't collect royalty. Stephen and Cameron, you wanted to add to that? Yeah, thank you, Jamie. That's like a brutal race to the bottom and kind of the tragedy of the commons in a way. And what, what, would, what would you gentlemen like to add in some color in that whole drama? It's unfortunate the, the way they, they, it's okay. I understand in competition and blur and open sea, but then when you start bringing in the artists or the creators involved to pick a side or, or determine that's not what our community is looking for We're in the web three space, it's, it's, it's open. It's, it's allowing the community to choose. It's allowing them to navigate and move in the directions they want to. And that's really the premise of the technology of the blockchain technology and the transparency. And so I applaud both of them for what they've built, but I think they're, they got to continue to, to elevate and innovate to grab market share. Otherwise it's, it's a short term without continued innovation or continue to bring a better user experience, trader experience, marketplace experience, then, you know, it, at some point, you know, that wheel is going to stop spinning. And people are going to move on to what is innovative, what is more user-friendly, what is wh where they can get more value out of the experience of the trade or what the marketplace holds versus I saved a little bit on a, on a, on a trade. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, it's clear why this is so controversial because it's really like an existential threat to how Web3 is fundamentally structured. How do you see this having the effect on, on the creator's camera and what other changes have you seen or... What other color can you add? Well, I think it when these things happen as quickly as they have in recent weeks, it certainly sets the creator's hair on fire a little bit, just trying to figure out how do we continue to be good partners to marketplaces? How do we continue to be partners to our community and ensure that there is a continued symbiotic relationship in all of this? Um, and so I think that the thrash has been probably the hardest part for for creators to deal with in terms of we've created, we've, we've established long-term relationships with players like OpenSea who have been in a space for, for a fair amount of time or Magic Eden, which is more than a year old or X2Y2. We've established these relationships and now they're sort of being forced to be reconsidered and readjusted. And nobody wants to make decisions from a point of fear or from a point of emergency. So I think that the biggest thing for us is we want to continue to be able to evaluate the market infrastructure and determine how can this work in a way that is beneficial to everyone, because that has always been the promise of Web3, that the pie can grow rather than shrinking through, through dividing. And so I think for us, it's, it continues to be just a question of, are there ways and what are those ways for all of us to work together in, in a manner that, that leads us to all meeting our goals rather than determining which one of us should meet our goals in front of someone else. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's well said, Cameron. Yeah. I, I agree. I think one other way that Rich, if I can just expand on that, on the creators, 
you know, you have creators now starting to look at a lot of, at, at multiple of things, their own marketplaces, which I don't think are a bad idea anyways, to really have a sense of community and to, as more and more brands like Board Ape or Cold Cats or some of the other are going to, are continuing to build content and build that relationship with the community. You do want to have that home base, if you will, and that experience for them to reside and hang out in. But you're going to start seeing other things where on future mints, do projects hold back, hold back some tokens and then wait and see and release over time. I don't know if that feels right. I don't know if, how that works. The other side of it is, is we are very community focused with a lot of our projects are no different than you go with who our community is in a brand. I don't think people are starting to think, hmm, do we penalize holders if they trade without, without paying a royalty? They enter your community with, with a purchase where there wasn't a trade in. I don't think it's right for us to pull that hammer out and hammer and hammer the community member. And so people are going to start looking at things that, right, it's not. And so all of a sudden we can't be hammering our community while we're trying to grow. Not only our community, we're trying, as, as Cameron said, we're rightfully trying to grow the entire pie. And so people are breaking the knives out too early on cutting their slice before the pie is big enough. In my opinion. That's great. That's an excellent segue. Thank you for that. And let's talk about the creators. And if I may, as a creator of this podcast, please smash the subscribe button. I've been uh, instructed to do that since I don't actually get any royalty on this. I can only get followers. So please do that. Thank you very much. But let's, let's say you're a creator in, in Web3 or, or, or you want to be one. And like, let's look at the practicality of it, about how to actually manifest this and make it happen. So a lot of NFT marketplaces, it's not actually, even though everything is on-chain, you can track the, the provenance and the, the whole flow of history of um, anything that's, uh, that's on-chain. It doesn't mean that it's baked into it. Oftentimes, the royalty percentage comes, is more centralized from the exchange. And in, during this last bull into the, into the bear, there was so much going on, it wasn't really baked in. But that's something that we at Animoca Brands are very, very serious and passionate about. And I know Jamie's been super busy like with the, the product and tech team. Can you peel back that back a little bit, Jamie, about where we have been really trying to put a flag in the sand? Well, can I, I just want to take a step back. So when I sort of entered into the NFT world, I think it was like early 2022. And back then, other than like PseudoSwap, which allow no royalty or people to trade without very minimal platform fee and no payment on royalty, generally the marketplace like OpenSea, looks rare, they were there and they did support royalty payment. And so it was at that time, I went through ethos, like one respected royalties. Everyone knew it was the norm. No one really questioned it. No one tried to challenge it. And... Yeah, it was all embraced, right? And then slowly XCY2 came on and, and they decided, well, you know, for whatever reason, market share, I'm not going to, because it suited so well, I'm going to create another platform, which looks like OpenSea, but then you don't have to pay royalty, right? And so I think the danger of this is with more marketplace doing it, like Blur and now OpenSea, that it will slowly become, and what we don't want to be an accepted practice where people get to choose, right? They don't have to pay royalty if they want, just to save a few bucks. But I think it's, I mean, we've got on this podcast today, Muga Labs and Coolcast and Amoka Brands, but this is a crucial issue and it touches upon not just the bigger brands, but the entire community, the smaller creators, the artists. And it is something that I think 
when you look at it, like, I know that I've talked about this a lot and I get questions like, oh, how do we as small creators handle this or manage this? But on the broader face, we need to actually stand together as a community. And there are obviously different ways and different approach. It's not so much a income stream and allowing the creators to develop more is one aspect. But the other aspect of it is to ensure that we maintain this ethos that creators need to continue creating. We need to continue supporting creators. We can do that a number of ways, obviously, which you can actually bake in, but we don't. That is a way, but as you mentioned, it is a centralized way and you don't want to really bake in your smart contract, the payment of royalty, because what happens in a situation where you really do generally just want to transfer NFT to your friend or to your other wallets or your mom and dad just to get them to the community. I mean, what we've done when this whole discussion started on royalty last year, we actually released this, these NFT licenses, which is public, it's on our website. And we release it in four languages, in English, Chinese, Korean, and Japanese. And the whole idea of the NFT license is we've baked into the NFT license specific requirements for the holder of the seller to pay royalty. And for them to, if they wish to continue or for the purchaser to continue enjoying our utilities or the use of the artwork, they need to recognize that royalty needs to be paid to the creators. And specifically in the license, we have said that they will undertake not to circumvent it and they will undertake not to use marketplaces that don't support it, right? And the whole idea is not really, it's not as a measure against the community or the holder, it's to allow a way that we can discuss later how we can stand together and ensure or try to take a decision against marketplaces that, that don't respect royalty payment. Terrific, yeah. So it's something where we need to be able to have a standard within the industry writ large to be able to have a certain baseline agreement around where the creator royalties are going. And that's a good segue for, let's go back to Stephen, because you have a very rich history in the more traditional entertainment industry leading up to your ventures into Web3. Can you explain to us how you see some of the differences and similarities between those industries and Web3, please? Yeah. So just for a few of those, my background is I was at the Walt Disney Company for about 25 years where I had the privilege of leading licensing consumer products, brand management for the Disney brand. And so my whole career has been, and then a couple of years at Warner Brothers, my whole career has been about building IP and growing audience and ensuring that the brand was more relevant and stronger three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now in doing so. And the way we did that, and, and the way you do that is you create content and you put product out and there's a royalty mechanism, whether you're getting a royalty on distribution of a film or a TV show or a licensed merchandise like a toy. And it's very, very well respected because the industry has come together and said, these are the social norms of how we're going to operate in this business. And if you don't, and you're quickly not a good, you're a bad behavior in the space, whether you're, you don't choose your you don't pay your royalties or you try to underreport and things of that nature. And, and then there's consequences. I kind of equate this and I'm a little bit more seasoned than a couple of our guests on here to Napster back in the time where the music industry got together and said, wait a second, not so fast. This is our IP. We may not have it all figured out on royalties and collections, and there's a lot of different hands in our pockets, but. It's still our industry. It's the lifeblood of some of these artists and well, not only the artists, the companies, 
and we're going to take action. And I think what Yad has done is the very first step where he has socialized this licensed agreement with a lot of the Web3 brands in the space. And I think that's the first step. I think the next step is what is the action we take and how do we do that? I don't think it's whack-a-mole with each community member, but it is, as Jamie said, it is about having some conversations and meetings of the minds with some of these marketplaces so we can create a win-win environment to continue to grow the pie of the community, as well as make sure the creators, their royalties and their efforts are taken care of. And, and I, there is a solution there for all of us. There always is. It's just, how do we get so, but it's about thinking these marketplaces, thinking about the broader marketplace versus each other. And right now they're just thinking about each other and not about, wait a second, where's the broader, where's the broader marketplace and how do we make sure we're positioned for the long term? versus the short term. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think it's really important that the existing sort of guard in Web2 and the entertainment industry as a whole really is able to understand and embrace what's happening with Web3 because the, the food coloring is in the swimming pool, so to speak. And the more you flail around, it just kind of spreads it around. But uh, I think there's a, a really... I, I really have bought in personally into this vision of open metaverse and broad digital property rights and power to the creator. So I've hitched my, my chariot to Animoca Brands. And yeah, there really is this bright, beautiful future ahead without being too overly idealistic, but I choose to be optimistic and I think there really is a there there. So can you chime in, Cameron? Yeah. I think that one thing when we talk about this question that, that is been so interesting to me is to see the reaction of the technologists in this industry who are rallying to find infrastructure solutions to these questions so that they are enabling. And that is something that Web3 has really been paramount in is that how do we enable smaller creators? How do we streamline efficiencies? And so every time we've seen a challenge in the Web3 world, it has been solved through technological tools rather than through commercial negotiations, strong arming, punishments, or anything of that nature. And so I think in so many ways, some of the comfort that we take is that some of the brightest minds that we know are in this space and are actively trying to find how to optimize it and how to make it better for everyone. Because again, the belief is at its core that the pie only grows. We don't have to divvy it up. And so I've had the pleasure of having conversations with people who are thinking about how to tokenize elements of this, how to create new types of marketplaces that are where the marketplace itself is trying to incentivize both user acquisition and creator acquisition and sort of thinking about their position in the market from a different perspective than perhaps marketplaces are today or have in legacy web two. So for me, some of the fun of this is knowing that this is not the last twist and turn we're going to see in how marketplaces operate and how creators are impacted. And in the long run, it's sort of moving in the direction our belief is that it's going to continue to move in the direction of why we all got into Web3. Terrific. Yeah. And I love, of course, bringing in the engineering tech side and in the entertainment industry, I mean, you can clearly see a lot of, let's go back to, to Hong Kong. I was living there 96 to 2000. You could just buy DVDs on the street, totally pirated and it was convenient and was insulting and painful and harmful to the creators. And now who does that? I mean, Steve Jobs talks about, okay, you can pirate music, but like there's a cost to that too. You're spending time, you're searching, you're getting like a bad version. And then he launches, um, of course, iTunes. 
And now with all these streaming services, people are very happy, very happy to pay. And look at the incredible renaissance in television and, and movies because of that. And I think, I don't know if anybody wants to speak to that. And I believe sort of that's where this is inevitably moving towards. And this will be just a twist and turn and a, a little bit of a valley and a blip. I'll just second your point where Apple really taking their piece, they're getting their, it's no secret, their 30 cents on the dollar, but they changed the music industry positively where there was assurances where these artists were getting paid and there was no more leaky buckets. There's probably a few but they cleaned it all up and they provided, and then it gave the ability for more people to enter the space. And if they produced, and it said, you don't need a big label always, and you're able to make some money off of your craft. And so I think it was a savior probably to the music industry because it was going down a way where more and more artists weren't being able to come in and survive, meaning even just make ends meet, let alone be rock stars, if you were. They just weren't even able to, to create a living on their craft. And now they can't. And that's such an important element of this in my mind is that you do need to have assurances that if you're going to invest yourself in personally or professionally in this new space, that you understand what the benefit and opportunity is in that space and where the market dynamics are shifting so constantly. I think we aren't doing our industry justice where people are still sitting on the sidelines because they don't yet feel comfortable with how do I know whether my commitment, my investment in joining this space as a creator or as a business is going to allow me to receive the benefits of my hard work? And so the hope here again is that in order for us to continue to grow this space, we need to, to create the rules that people can rely on. And the hope is that those rules are incentivizing rather than disincentivizing. I just wanted to add something. So... I think the whole point, and I think we touched upon this at the beginning, the point of Web3 and the technology that Web3 brings, it should really give a new form of revenue to creators as opposed to stripping it away from them. And you see with the creators' royalties that artists, creators are being rewarded for their work. But there are new ways and new forms of giving different industry royalties and recognition as well. Like, for example, one of our subsidiary, TinyTap, released this publisher NFT. And the whole idea is to use this new form of technology to take some of the fees and creator royalties and give it to teachers who don't otherwise have access to this type of revenue. And in, in return, what happens is it encourages teachers around the world to want to create courses, create games, to teach children. I think like Steve and Cameron's mentioned, they're very short-sighted because you are potentially blocking this development of technology that could help a wide sector of the industry in many different ways and not just in art. Yeah, fantastic. Excellent point. Thank you for sharing that, Jamie. Of course, we think about creators as digital art, music, maybe video clips, but of course, there are so many other industries that are going to gamified and tokenized. And I just had Shelly Yoga, the founder of TinyTap on. It's amazing. Some of these teachers can even earn like an entire year's wage by, by selling their content up front. And teachers make such an incredible impact, but are so chronically underpaid. And that's just one example. And there's a lot of things that happen. Like I think about Uber back in the day with like, well, I've already taken a taxi before and I've had a phone for a long time, but there's all these convergence of like payment and location and phone and that create this whole new industry. And I think there's going to be a lot more creators that we don't even necessarily think of in the typical sense that will be coming out. And 
being able to earn their their keep and more through this entire mechanism. So yeah, how do you think some of the the marketplaces could better improve what they're doing? I, I think that when it comes to marketplaces, our hope from the largest marketplaces to the smallest to the niche and otherwise that that they see that these are two-sided marketplaces, that there are users and there are people who are customers and who are interested in products and art and media and entertainment. And then there are the people who are producing all of that and that we are a customer in our own right, in, in many senses of the word, and that there is an opportunity to garner us and to cultivate the relationship with us in a way that can be mutually beneficial. And it doesn't just have to be through the one mechanism that I think has historically been the tie, which is sort of creator royalties. That is an important component, but it sort of ignores the fact that there are much deeper bonds in how the infrastructure of this industry works that could allow us to work together and to drive value, not in the financial sense, but value in terms of utility sense, drive value to meet both our projects and theirs. And so for me, that that's the biggest thing is that my hope would be that they have the open conversation with us. A lot of times, Decisions are being made, and I don't know if we have the opportunity to speak and, and share how we can better help decisions be made in a way that doesn't have a negative impact on the market or one side. And I, indeed, that dialogue is important. But as as two lawyers, there's also another path as well, too. Do you think, are there remedies or recourse for creators on the legal side for what's happened recently? Let me take this one first, um, and then I'll be interested in Cameron's view. So I think as Steve mentioned earlier on as well that yeah it's sort of gone around promoting everybody in the nft community or creators to use our nft license or a form of an nft license and the reason is in our nft license or any similar form where it contains specific language in relation to the requirement to pay royalties or to ensure that you don't circumvent payment of royalty in order to continue enjoying the benefits of of what the project is continuing to offer and so how we see it, that it could possibly play out, we like to c come up with potential ways that creators could seek legal remedies against marketplace. And one of them would be to, to go to marketplace. Obviously, we have a dialogue. We show, hey, stop doing this. Here are our NFT license. And in our view, if they continue to disrespect the payment of royalties, then there are possible legal remedies. The first we see is the quite obvious one, which is copyright infringement. And that is fairly direct. We as creator own the copyright in the artwork. The marketplace has infringed upon the copyright by displaying or distributing the artwork without our permission. And that opens obviously certain defenses that they may have have on their end, but ultimately it could result in us saying, look to this marketplace, you need to take out our collection or we are open to seek some monetary damages from you. So that's one way. Another way, this is obviously based on the U.S. Copyright Act, which is really about honoring information that's associated with digital artwork. And such information does include in the act the terms and condition of the digital artwork, which in our language, the NFT license. So if these marketplaces display the artwork without complying with the NFT license, then they're unlawfully altering or removing copyright information management, or management information, I should say which entitles the creators to damages against the marketplace. And the third option, which we see, which is based on torturous interference with contract, which is a very simple contract that the marketplace is aware of the NFT license, and they carry on active facilitate sale of the NFTs without enforcing the royalty 
which is indirectly interfering with the agreement between the creators and the holders. And again, possibly opening up damages on their end that creators can take. And these are the few forms that we could think of. And really, it's not really a stance that we're trying to make that we will take action against the marketplace. We want to tell the marketplaces and also the creators that there are possible legal remedies because I think people have thought of very different ways of dealing with this. What are the options? And there are a lot of options, as you mentioned, through technology. There are options with dialogues with the marketplace. And ultimately, there are certain legal remedies that could be possible. Very uh, comprehensive overview of those options. Thanks for sharing. Anything to to add there, Cameron? Jamie, I think you I think you said it you know quite well, and I think the the wrap up there was so important that this isn't about necessarily wielding a hammer and saying that comply or else. It is about looking at all types of ways to improve the situation through technological tools that help avoid misaligned incentives. We think about dialogue. How do we ensure that we are having an open communication and sharing openly what our displeasure is or what we agree with? And then lastly, ensuring that it's clear that we are comfortable protecting ourselves if and when it comes to that. And so I think you said it you know, quite well. The preferred tool in the toolkit, Jamie, of course, is the um, NFT licenses, which you have helped to craft. Those are available to players in the ecosystem. How could somebody get access to that? They're on our website. So the Animoca Brands website is all there in four different languages. And I have had people reach out to me. Yeah, they're LinkedIn asking me questions about how to use them, how to apply them. By all means, please do that. We'll include those in the show links. And let's uh, switch over to Stephen and the sort of final wrap up and what uh, you think individuals and organizations can best do to support those amazing uh, creators. I'm going to piggyback a little bit off of what Jamie has been commenting on, which is I do think there should be some mass adoption to, to the NFT license, but I think that's really the backstop and not the sword. And I think that just levels the field and say, okay, hey, we're into this together. And then as Cameron said, I'm just going to kind of weave together their thoughts is really it's about technology. But again, that's another backstop because there's always going to be somebody who's going to find the workaround, but you do have to make sure the technology is sound, but it's really about having that dialogue and listening how do, how do the large, the large brands in the space, as well as small ones, listen to how can we, the marketplaces survive? They need us. We're the supplier of, of the product. And as, as that goes away, they go away. So maybe there's a dialogue of, Hey, they know what we need or what our expectations are. Maybe we don't know what they, but I also think innovation on their side on creating the right experience and bringing in the right functionality would also benefit them. But if, if there's things that we can do and we ha at Cool Cats, we have a great relationships with the marketplaces and we're talking to them about how we can provide content to them through NFTs or different experiences all the time. Um, and so maybe more of that is also required, but I, I see the NFT license really as a backstop and a level playing field for the web three creator community to say, okay, Hey, we stand together in this, in this form. And Cameron, you said very spacaciously and you pointed out it's a two-sided marketplace and the platforms are in the middle. So it's super important for there to be some good diplomacy and agreement to all the, the parties involved. Any final thoughts, Cameron? Well, you asked a great question. How can we as creators support creators who might be up and coming or smaller or come from different backgrounds than perhaps other creators have been successful? And I think it's really important to remember that this industry was started in many ways from people who were viewed as outsiders, who had theories on monetary policy and digital art and ownership. 
that were different than how Web2 was working and were different than how we, people may have made money or been successful in, in prior generations. And so to me, and I think to YouGov, it's so important that we continue to give a voice to those people who are viewed as on the outside, who have a different way of doing it, who want to see it uniquely. And I think Yuga has, has continued, for lack of a term, put its money where its mouth is. And we are, we have been uh, philanthropic in the communities that we've been involved in. And we are constantly looking for ways to uplift other artists. And, and that doesn't mean we're perfect. And there's certainly more that we can continue to look for and do. But I do think it's incumbent on creators to, to remember that we were once the very small project. I think Stephen said it quite well. The cool cats were sold for 0.02, it was 40 bucks. I think Ford Apes were sold for somewhere around 160 bucks and everyone gets their start somewhere. And at the end of the day, if we want this industry to be as weird and wacky and unique as, as it has the possibilities to be, then we have to help make it happen. Weird and wacky indeed. Stay, stay weird and wacky. My, my ending note is I was drawn to Web3 purely because of the community. I love the community and the NFT community is only there because of the creators. And so as I think everyone in NFT should stand together to support the creators, otherwise we just won't have NFTs. Fantastic. I am absolutely with you. A terrific point to end the show. Once again, smash that subscribe button, go online to find the Animoca Brands NFT license to be able to support yourself, your creators. And thank you once again, Jamie Kwok from Animoca Brands, Cameron Cates, Yuga Labs, and Stephen Teglis from Cool Cats. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only. <laughs>